have your Bible, journal, notes, go ahead and take that out. The title of today's message is called From Worry to Worship. From Worry to Worship. Look at your neighbor and say, don't worry. Look at your neighbor and say, just worship. We're going to be reading out of Matthew 6. Verse 25 to 34. Jesus says this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? Will you have little faith? So do not worry. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we open up your word this morning, Holy Spirit, would you illuminate, would you speak to us through your word? And Lord, may we be a people, may we be a family, may we be a church that isn't given to worry, but to worship. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. How many of you are natural worriers? Any natural worriers? Okay, okay, so I have company. I remember one of the first times I discovered that I am a total natural worrier and kind of a control freak. And it was when I realized that I always have to be driving the car. You, do you know what I'm talking about? Anyone, can anyone relate? Okay, when I'm in the passenger seat of a car, I like physically manifest. <laughs> when I'm in the passenger seat, I'm freaking out. You know that handle you never use in your car? I'm using that thing. I'm like, I'm in the passenger seat and I'm like, slow down, you know? Janelle's like driving the speed, speed limit, you know, like five miles per hour under. And I'm just like, slow down. I think that was one of the first times I really discovered, like I am a total natural worrier and a little bit of a control freak. And I think for us, it's really easy for us to give ourselves to worry. Not just in life in general, but I think even during, through the pandemic. A lot of unknowns and a lot of uncertainty the past two years. It seems really easy for us as followers of Jesus to give ourselves to worry. But thankfully, Jesus has a lot to say about this. He has a lot to say about this. A little bit of context here. Um, in Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's a famous 
sermon, famous discourse. And in the chapter before, in Matthew 5, we see who Jesus is talking to. And this is really, really important to understand what's really going on here. We need to know who Jesus is actually talking to. So in Matthew 5, it says this, and this is a, a famous portion of scripture. You, you probably know this. It says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who persecuted, who were persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So this is called the Beatitudes. And a lot of times what we do with the Beatitudes is we use it like a formula. We, th- we read this and we go, okay, okay, if I'm poor in spirit, then the kingdom of heaven is mine. If I mourn, I shall be comforted. But one thing we have to realize is Jesus was literally talking to people who were poor. He was literally talking to people who were mourning. He was literally talking to people who were low. One thing we have to, one thing we can, one thing we can picture is that it always seemed like those who were near to Jesus were the lowly and the broken of society. And so those who were around him were literally the down and out and the outcast and the, the sidelined of society. They were poor. They were mourning. They were experiencing sadness. They were hungry. They were literally hungry and literally thirsty. These were not the religious elite who were around Jesus. These were the needy. And it is to these people who we would think have every reason to worry that Jesus looks them in the face and begins to teach about worry and worship. It is to them, it is to the needy. And so that leads us to our first point. And the first point is this. Worry is cultural, but it is not Christian. Jesus begins like this. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? In the original language, the word worry here means to be troubled by many cares. And how many of us know it's one thing to have cares in our life, but it's another thing to be troubled by them. It's one thing to care about things, but it's another thing to be overcome by them, to let them overwhelm us. And this is what Jesus is talking about with worry. The Washington Post says this, that 60% of U.S. adults feel stressed and worried on a daily basis. We live in a culture of worry. What do we worry about? We worry about all sorts of things. Jesus here is talking about material possessions, so we worry about money. Do do I have enough money in my bank account? We worry about our jobs. We worry about clothing, the way that we look. We worry about meals. Maybe some of us are like, I don't even know where my next meal is going to come from. Even deeper than those material things, 
We as human beings, we worry about things like significance. Do I matter? Relationships. Purpose. Do I have a purpose in life? We worry about deadlines. We worry about approval. Do people approve of me? And what about you? What about me? What about us? Have we been troubled by many cares? Have we allowed the cares of this life to overwhelm us or to overcome us? It could be something small. Like, what do I make for dinner? <laughs> do I have enough time to run my errands? This is one that I think about a lot. Did I say something stupid today? I go to bed a lot and think about that. I go to bed, I lay awake, and I'm like, did I say something stupid to someone today? And then I text people. I'm like, I'm sorry. And they're like, dude, I didn't even notice. And I'm like, well, I did. So, Or maybe it's something significant. Am I going to lose my job? Is my health going to be okay? Are my kids going to come back to the Lord? Is my life going anywhere? Is my marriage going to make it? Is the world going to get any better? Am I ever going to stop feeling lonely, afraid, depressed? Why is Jesus addressing worry? There are things in life that tend to sabotage our soul and sabotage our relationship with God. And really, there are two categories. There are things that are overt and there are things that are covert. Overt are the biggies. Do you know what I'm talking about? The big things, right? That could get in our relationship with the Lord. A hidden pornography addiction, cheating on a spouse. This is the big stuff, right? Lying. But then there are things that are covert. Things that we don't always recognize are creeping into our lives and getting in, in the way of our relationship with Jesus. Worry is one of those things. Worry, if we don't give it to Jesus, if we don't check it at the door, it can creep into our lives and begin to sabotage our trust in God. And how many of us know there is no relationship without trust? Whether that's a natural relationship or a spiritual relationship. There is no relationship without trust. And worry is one of those things that can creep into our lives if we don't check it. And worry is three things. Worry is irreverent, it's irrelevant, and it's irresponsible. Worry is irreverent, meaning that it denies God's power and sovereignty and providence. How many of us know we serve a big, great God? He owns everything. And what worry does, it, it, it denies his power and his sovereignty in our lives. Worry is irrelevant. It does not belong in the life of someone who has put their trust in Jesus. It does not belong in the life of someone who lives a life of faith. And worry is irresponsible. Jesus later says, how many of us can add a single hour to our life by worrying? In fact, worry takes time away from our lives. And in, in, in effect, Jesus is really saying, worry is a great way to waste time. 
So worry is irresponsible. It detracts from our life. It doesn't accomplish anything. So when we worry, that is precious time. It's precious time. Worry is irreverent, irrelevant, and irresponsible. Worry, it's cultural, but it's not Christian. It's not Christian. Does this mean that you and I won't feel worried or anxious at times? No. No, we're human. Of course we're going to feel worried. Of course we're going to feel anxious at times. But it does mean that we don't give ourselves to worry. It does mean that we don't let worry dictate our actions and our lives and our families. That's what that means. We're not troubled by the cares of the world. Those who belong to God, we shouldn't be consumed by worry. We shouldn't be consumed by worry. So Jesus commands us not to worry, not to be troubled by the cares of this life, but why? Why shouldn't I worry? And that leads us to our second point, is that we are valued above all creation. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I just want you to picture this scene with me for a second. Most likely, where Jesus was sitting and teaching his disciples, there literally was grass. There literally were flowers. There literally were birds. And so Jesus is looking at this group of people who are down and out, who are poor and hungry and lowly and sick and lame. And he's looking at these people who are needy. And he's pointing to all of this stuff around him. Look at the grass. Look at this field. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. He's saying, God takes care of all of this. And he looks at them in the face and he says, you are more valuable than all of this. Than all of this. We are valued above all creation. We, we know this. Human beings are of more value to God than than all of creation. Human beings, we are the pinnacle of God's creation. We're his masterpiece. When God created the world and creation, he looked at creation and he said, that's good. But when he created you and me, he said, that's very good. Very good. We know that we're valued above all of creation. We're his prized possession because human beings are the only creation that is made in the image of God. In the image of God. You and I are his sons and daughters. When scripture describes God's love and care for us, for humanity, he uses language like, like, like the fact that God knit us together in our mother's womb. That the very hairs on our head are numbered. That he knows our name. In the Psalms, it says that when we go to sleep, he's there. When we wake up, he's there. 
that his thoughts about us outnumber the grains of sand. That's what the Psalms say. That God's thoughts about you and I outnumber the grains of sand. Isn't that incredible? And we know in Scripture that God gave you and I his one and only son, his precious son, Jesus, to have us, to be in relationship with us, to commune with us. Now think about, again, think about the people around him, the needy, the poor, the hungry. Maybe they've never heard this before. Maybe in their minds, God was this figure that was up in heaven and he wasn't really involved and he only cared about the religious elite and the people who were perfect and had it all together, you know? He didn't really care about the details of their lives. And Jesus is looking at them in the face and he's saying, that's not true. He's saying, you are valued above all of this. You may not feel seen, but I see you. You may not feel known, but God knows you. You may not feel loved, but your heavenly father loves you more than you can ever imagine. Ever imagine. Maybe they're hearing that for the first time, and maybe you're hearing that for the first time. We come to church every single week. We sit in these chairs, we lift our hands, but I just want to ask you this. Do you know, did you know that God loves you? Did you know that God loves you above all of creation? Did you know that his thoughts about you outnumber the grains of sand? Do you know that you're loved? Does it matter how you came in this morning? We're all in need of the mercy and the grace of Jesus. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's that he loves us. So we don't have to worry because we believe that God is real and that he loves us. But what does life look like when we don't believe these things? What does life look like when we don't believe that God is real? When we don't believe that God will care for us? When we don't believe that God loves us? And Jesus really has one answer to this question. It's worldliness. Worldliness. And that's the third point. Worldliness is a sign of worry and unbelief. Jesus goes on to say, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And he says, For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In another translation, it says Gentiles. And really this word pagans, Gentiles, it really just means those outside of the family of God those outside of the family of God. And here's the deal. When we don't believe in eternity, when we don't have a framework, framework for eternity, we try to fit everything into the temporary. When we don't believe in eternity, we try to fit all of life into the temporary. We only live for the things of this world because we believe that's all we've got. And we try to cram everything into this life. And it causes anxiety and it causes worry and it causes 
Worldliness. Worldliness. I have an illustration for you because you know I had to do an illustration. This is a rope. And I want you to picture, there's a knot in here. I want you to picture that this is our life with Jesus in eternity. This is 50 feet long. There's more behind the stage. This is our life with Jesus. This is eternity. And this is our life on earth. This. And what we do is we we go, okay, maybe here I'll buy a Tesla. I'll finally get that Tesla. Oh, man, I've been saving up for that Tesla. Maybe here I'll buy that super nice house in Puyallup with a big field and chickens. That's my dream. And here I'll get that promotion, and maybe here I'll get my dream job. And, but what about all of this? And all of this. And what we do is we just live for this, not realizing we've got all of eternity with God. And the Bible says stuff like, don't store your treasures on earth, but in heaven. And when we don't believe that all of this exists after this life, we try to cram all of life here. And it just causes worry and worldliness. But we are people who say, I'm not just going to live for this. I'm going to live for the kingdom of heaven and eternity. Because that's the rest of my life. That's the rest of my life. We all know this too. Worldliness, living for the things of this life in this world, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. I used to work at T-Mobile. I don't anymore, so don't ask me questions about phones. But, I mean, I'll help you if you ask me. Like, that I'm willing to do that. Um, I try to forget that season of my life. But I used to work at T-Mobile, and I started as a trainee. And back then, I'm, pretty, I'm a pretty ambitious person now, um, but I was, way, I was times 1,000 ambitious back then. And um, I started as a trainee, and I remember, I, I got, as soon as I got into training, I'm like, I'm going to be the best sales associate in this store. I'm going to kill it, you know, in the sales world. Just like, kill it. Yeah, you kill it, man. I'm going to kill it. So I, I was training, and I, and I did really, really well, and I became a sales associate. When I became a sales associate, I was like, you know what? I want to be a floor lead. I want to be a floor lead. I want to be over the sales associates, you know? So I killed it in sales, and I, I became a floor lead, and that wasn't enough. So I was like, I want to be an assistant manager, because I don't have people under me, you know? So I did great as the floor lead, and I became an assistant manager, and that wasn't enough. And I, and I was like, you know, I want to be a store manager, because I want the assistant manager to work for me, you know? I, I, I want all this stuff. So, so I killed it as an assistant manager, and I became a store manager. And I was like, this is not enough. I want to be a sales manager. I want to oversee multiple stores. So I did that, and I became a sales manager. And how many of you know it was never enough? And the myth, the lie that the enemy tries to plant into our minds is that when you get that job, when you have this much money in your bank account, when you're this put together, you will be satisfied. Friends, 
Nothing in this life will satisfy our souls. Ecclesiastes says that he put eternity in the hearts of humanity to live for him. Our ultimate peace and joy is not in this life, but the life to come. And this, the, the, the danger is that it's, it's possible for you and I to profess faith but live like an atheist. It's possible for us to name the name of Jesus but practically live like eternity doesn't exist. How are we living? I'm not asking, like, what do we say? I'm asking, does our life speak that there is greater purpose than this? Does it say that? The way we steward our finances, the way we love our neighbor, the way we pray, the words that come out of our mouth, does it reflect the fact that there is more to life than just this life? I don't want to live for this much. I want to live for eternity. For eternity. So we've learned that worry is cultural. It's not Christian. We know that God loves us. We're valued above all creation. And, and that worldliness is actually a sign of worry. And we've, just, we've got to be careful of those things. The question is, though, how do we as people of faith, how do we respond to worry? When worry comes knocking at our door, what do we do? What do we do? And I think that at this point, I think that at this point, many of us say, would say, I need more therapy. <laughs> or I think at this point, many of us would say, I need to save more money. Or maybe we'd just be like, we'd just be like I just shouldn't worry. Just don't worry. Just stop it. Stop worrying. But Jesus' answer on how to respond to worry is something unexpected. It's not another counseling session or venting to a friend or taking control of our lives. He completely flips the script and he says this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And that leads us to our last point. We're called to turn worry into worship. Into worship. You see, it's not just another thing that we do. What Jesus is calling us to do is to radically reorient our lives around a different purpose than the things of this world. This is not just, I just let go of this and let go of this and do more of this. This is a whole shift in mindset and in heart and in lifestyle. This is a complete surrender. This is a, a, a cry of saying, I will no longer live for the cares and the burdens of this life. I will live for the kingdom of Jesus. The kingdom of Jesus. It's a radically reorienting of our lives. Jesus calls us to be kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused, followers of him. And you know what I've realized in life? When I'm busy pursuing the kingdom, I don't have time to worry. He says, seek 
The word seek means to pursue or to crave. Like it's not just, it's not just go after the kingdom, it's desire. I don't just do this. I actually want this. I aim for this. The word kingdom, Pastor Ben's explained this word before. The kingdom is the rule and the reign of Jesus. The rule and the reign of Jesus. When we talk about the kingdom, we talk about in, in kind of the language like already, but not yet. The kingdom, the rule and the reign of Jesus is already here in some ways, but is not yet fully realized. The rule and the reign of Jesus. And then righteousness. In, in this context, we're not talking about salvation. That word righteousness literally means integrity or purity of life. So literally translated, Jesus is saying, pursue, desire the rule and reign of Jesus and purity of life. Live for that. Give yourself to that. Surrender to that. Make your priority that. Jesus does this all the time. When he encounters people, he completely flips their priorities. Do you remember when Jesus encountered the fishermen? He's like, you used to fish for fish, but now you'll be fishers of men. And when we encounter Jesus, when we see Jesus, when we realize who he is, the son of God, and who is actually calling us into eternity and a greater purpose than we can ever imagine, that's what should happen in our hearts. Not just, oh, okay, I'll give you this and hold all of this other stuff back. It should be a radical reorienting where we turn away from the things of this world and are completely facing him. And, I, and go, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow you. It's a calling to more. Again, picture the crowd, the poor, the hungry, the low, the defeated, the discouraged, the oppressed, those who feel unworthy. And he looks at them in the face and he's breathing eternal purpose into their life. And he's telling them, there is more than you could ever imagine. Follow me. Follow me. And we are creatures of pursuit. We will always pursue something. We will always seek something. We will always desire something. The question is, what are we pursuing? What are we pursuing? Are we pursuing material possessions? Are we pursuing big bank accounts and, and, and stable homes and all this, these other things? Are we pursuing a position or, 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 a, or a career or promotion are we pursuing Jesus? Are we pursuing Jesus? There's also a promise. He says, when you seek the kingdom, everything else will be added to you. When Janelle and I moved here a year ago, before we moved here a year ago, we used to live up north in the Linwood area. Um, we had been kind of feeling this transition in our hearts, but we had no idea what it meant, okay? We had no idea what it meant. So we just kind of gave it to Jesus and kind of put it on the shelf. And one day we were like, you know what? We're going to put our roots even deeper down up north and in the Linwood area. And so we tried to buy this townhouse, okay? It was a mess. The whole process felt like we were swimming upstream. 
It was, it was a mess. So this is how bad this was. Uh, the morning we're supposed to get our keys. We're in our little, you know, one-bedroom apartment. Everything's in boxes. Everything's in boxes. We're supposed to get our keys that day. I get a call from the bank, and they, they say the deal fell through. The morning we're supposed to get the keys. And we just broke. And we were so confused. We looked at God and we're like, what the heck? I mean, I thought, I thought this was where we're supposed to be. I thought this was where we're supposed to be rooted. And the whole time felt like an uphill battle. In the morning, we're supposed to get our keys. Everything falls through. So Janelle and I, we're unpacking and we're just confused. We're confused. We're tired. We're, we're just like, what is happening right now? Sometime later, uh, Pastor Ben calls me and he says, hey, do you want to come be the youth pastor here? So we pray about it and we, decide, we decided yes. And I remember the drive here. I remember driving to Federal Way. I'm, I'm driving this truck with all our stuff in it. And Janelle's behind me in our other car. And I start to get on the, on the exit um, or off the freeway into Federal Way. And as soon as I start driving into Federal Way uh, uh, off the freeway, I just feel this peace just like just wash over me. So I pull into our new, our new apartment. And a few seconds later, Janelle pulls in because she was driving behind me. And she gets out of the car and she goes, Ryan, when I was getting off the exit into Federal Way, I just felt the peace of the Lord. So we get into our apartment and a few months later, we buy this condo and it was like this. <laughs> it was like, I don't even, it, it felt like it took five seconds for it to happen. And my point is this. When our pursuit is to follow Jesus and be in the middle of his will, he will take care of everything else. God will provide. God will provide. When we trust him, when we follow him, when our eyes are on him, when our priority is to be in his will and not our own. And not our own. We're called to turn worry into worship. And Jesus ends like this. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in in effect, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, when we worry about tomorrow, we miss out on God today. And I don't want to miss out on God today. Do you? I don't want to miss out on his voice today. I don't want to miss out on the person that he's highlighting today. I don't want to miss out on time with him today, intimacy with him today, his presence today. There's nothing like the nearness of Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. No amount of money in my bank account, no home, no job, no fulfilled personal desire could come close to those moments with Jesus where you just feel like he's right there with you. There's nothing like it. I don't want to miss out on God today. Romans 8 says this. This is Paul. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, 
who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword as it is written for your sake we are being killed all the day long we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you're worried, if you're anxious, if you're afraid, look at the cross. If God did not withhold his own son, from us, won't he take care of everything else? If God gave what's precious, what's most precious to him, to us, to have us, to be with us, for us to belong in his family, his one and only son, won't he provide everything else? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? We are not those who hold on to things with closed fists and say, I'm not going to give this up to you. I'm going to try and control my life. We are those who lift our hands and say, God, I trust you. God, you're worthy. God, you're mighty. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to let go of the things of this world. And I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live for you. While I was praying for you and for this message, I had this picture, and I, I feel like it's for some of us this morning. I had this picture of someone just like the control freak that I can be in the driver's, in the driver's seat, the steering wheel. And you, you, this person was inviting Jesus. They were, inviting, they, were, they were wanting to be in this journey with Jesus. And they were inviting, they were like, come on. But they invited Jesus into the passenger seat. And I saw this person give over the steering wheel to Jesus. And I think that this morning, Jesus is calling some of us to do that today. To give him control. The only one who's trustworthy of our whole lives. And for us to stop living for this life and to start living for the life to come. And to start putting our treasure in heaven. If you could stand as we close and pray. So what have you been worried about? What have you given yourself to that is not of Jesus? 
It's my question this morning is, have you given it to him? Have you given it to him? And do you know that you're so loved that God gave his son to have you? To have you. And this morning, will you, instead of giving yourself to worry, will you be a person of worship to him? Let's pray. If you're ready to surrender, if you're here and you don't even know Jesus, you, you're here and like, I don't even go to church, I don't know about any of this, but you want to give over control to, to him, you want to trust him. If you're here and you're struggling with worry and anxiety and you just need to give over the steering wheel, just put out your hands, just open hands, all of us, and Oh, Jesus, we thank you for the price you paid to have us. And Lord, this morning, we gave over the steering wheel to you. And we declare that we won't be troubled or worry or be anxious about the things of this life. But we will be people who live for the life to come. And we will trust you with everything else. May Northwest Church be a people not given to worry, but worship to an amazing God, a great God. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.